Indeed, when our hearts are overwhelmed, uh, may God lead us to that rock that is higher than any of us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we quieten our hearts now to listen to your word, we pray that, O oh God, you be with us, that you speak to us and meet us at our points of need. Forbid, O oh Lord, that the word might fall, as in the parable of the sower, where it fell on the pathway, and the evil one came and snatched it away. But rather, O oh God, may it find fertile grounds in our hearts, and may it yield uh, seed and fruit up to a hundredfold. So do these things for us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our text that we are looking at this evening is from First Thessalonians and chapter 5 and verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. And reading it in its context, uh, the Apostle Paul prays for the Thessalonians that God might sanctify them. So picking it up from verse 23, the Bible says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greetings. I greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And put, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Ends uh, the reading. So we find here a very simple but challenging uh, text where the Apostle Paul is saying, brothers, pray for us. And uh, you might think that the Apostle Paul had run out of, maybe he had some remaining space on the scroll, instead of just ending at a point where he's saying, May the God, God of grace sanctify you, and then the letter ends. He adds some more things there, which look like a, a haphazard, you know, kind of instructions. Uh, but no, there is, is some methodology there. The Apostle Paul, having prayed for them that God might sanctify them, he now gives characteristics of a, a healthy church. A healthy church that is engaged in intercessory prayer. Brothers, pray for us. But then a church also that is engaged in, in, in living a love that is demonstrative. Okay? He says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. In other words, the Thessalonians ought to go and express their love for one another that is Visible that all may see, as our Savior says, by your love, all may see that uh, you are my disciples. And then in the third place, he asked them that they should take that letter and have it read, but then also spread it out so that it may be read elsewhere. So we are seeing that a healthy church also has that characteristics, a concern that the word of God is obeyed and spread across. And this is what the Apostle Paul is telling us there. And today we are looking at that first injunction, that first characteristics of a healthy church, that a healthy church is involved in intercessory prayer, praying for the advancement of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says there, pray for us. And the us there includes Timothy, includes Silas, and probably uh, it includes Luke, 
and the other apostolic team. So if you flip back to First uh, Thessalonians and chapter 1, you see that the Apostle Paul wrote that letter together with Silas and Timothy. So uh, history tells us that this was written at the time that they had gone to, um, to Corinth. So he wrote this letter when he was occupied with the gospel in Corinth. But looking at the background again of this letter, uh, Acts chapter 17 tells us of how the gospel came to uh, the, the Thessalonians. Acts chapter 17, we see there that Tita, uh, sorry, uh, Timothy as well as Silas was with him and they went and preached the gospel there. In chapter 17, verse 1, now when we had uh, passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as uh, did a great many uh, of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So we are seeing there that the Apostle Paul was preoccupied with the gospel. He was there sharing the gospel at Thessalonica and then the Jews, he faced opposition there. The Jews instigated and then he got chased. They went to Berea, the Bereans, the ones we know of noble character, and then they preached the gospel there. They believed, but then the guys from Thessalonica heard of it and went there, disturbing them as well. And they left uh, that side. And then uh, 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 Timothy uh, remained uh, there. Whilst, uh, in fact, it says in verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as, uh, they, as, soon as possible, uh, they departed. So Timothy and Silas remained there. But then in chapter 18, you find that now Paul is at Corinth, again occupied with the gospel. He faces opposition there, and then he continues soldiering on. In chapter 18 and verse uh, 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews and uh, that the Christ uh, was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. Uh, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we are seeing there the Apostle Paul occupied with the gospel amidst the joys and also the challenges of preaching the gospel. And he is in Corinth at this particular time. That's when now he writes to the brothers in Thessalonica, saying, pray for us. And we might ask the Apostle Paul, why, Paul, do you ask that they pray for you? Aren't you the great apostle, the one who saw the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to you in a vision on the way to Damascus? The one who was promised that, no, you will suffer for the kingdom of God and many will come to know the Lord even through you. You'll be the apostle to the Gentiles. But why are you asking for prayers? If you look at uh, Acts 18 there, you, you see there that the Apostle Paul, with the difficulties that he was facing in verse 9, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And we are asking, Paul, 
Jesus himself appeared to you and encouraged you and assured you that things were going to be all right. You are not going to be harmed. And many will come to know the Lord even through the preaching of, your, or, <clears throat> of the gospel. Now, why are you asking that the brothers pray for you? Why are you asking that the brothers pray for you? For all the things that Apostle Paul would have written, asking the Thessalonians, maybe he should have asked for maybe more resources for people to come and support him in the work of the gospel. Maybe he should have asked for maybe some money so that maybe they build the church hall where the preaching of God's word would be taking place. Maybe they should have asked for this and that, but Paul asks that the brothers pray for them. I would like to suggest that the Apostle Paul in this response or in this request is basically saying and putting, one, the primacy of prayer, the priority of prayer in the work of the gospel. And then secondly, we are seeing there that the Apostle Paul, in asking that the brothers pray for him or for them, is with a recognition that in and of himself he is inadequate and nothing can be done without God in the spread of the gospel. And then thirdly, the Apostle Paul is demonstrating the efficacy of prayer. And those are the, 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 the things that we are going to concentrate on uh, looking at. Uh, firstly, the primacy of prayer in the spread of the gospel. So we are learning here, first of all, that Paul is saying, brothers, pray for us. Why? Because prayer is a priority. Prayer should hold the central place in the spread of the gospel. Uh, it is John Piper in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, which talks about missions, uh, where he says that prayer is like, uh, he uses a, you know, old, old, old technology, you know, a walkie-talkie. <laughs> but uh, he's saying that prayer is like a communication device. I know those uh, who don't know what a walkie-talkie is, it means that, you know, you're, you must have been, you know, born more recently. Uh, but in the olden days, there was no cell phone, no, you know, the only communication device in the world time was the walkie-talkie, you know, a radio message. Uh, but, but think of it as that communication device that connects the head office, you know, HQ, and also connects, you know, the war zone. So life is a war. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that put on the full armor okay, of God. And that is a picture looking at or depicting the fact that a Christian is a soldier in the army of the Lord. We are at war. War against you know, sin, temptation, the world, the devil. We are at war. And Piper is saying, now look, Prayer is that device that connects us with heaven to give us the supplies that we need to be able to fight the war. And basically, that's the teaching of the Bible, that the war in terms of sin, the devil, temptation, and so on, cannot be won in the flesh. We need God. Moses learned this lesson Immediately they left Egypt. You remember the waters at, uh, uh, is it uh, Rephidim? That's Exodus chapter 17. After striking that rock, the next thing was that they were attacked by the Amalekites. You can turn there, Exodus and chapter uh, uh, 17 and verse 8. You find that demonstration on the primacy of prayer. Verse 8, then Amalek 
came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and her went up on the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary, and so they, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hugh held up his hand on one, on one side and the other on the other side. So his hand, hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So you are seeing there a demonstration of what was important. In war, they call the front line, okay? That's where the battle will be won or lost. And here we find Moses and Joshua discussing the battle strategy. And Moses takes, you know, one of the young, untrained, you know, lieutenants, Joshua. You go in the battle front. You know, the more experienced men, you know, Moses, Aaron, you, they go up the mountain. But then we are seeing here the fact that the battle was actually won on the mountaintop where prayer was being done and not where the actual physical activity was happening. So you can see the primacy of prayer in the war that God has given us to fight the evil one. It is through prayer. And you are seeing there Moses holding on to the staff of God, the rod of God. So that is symbolizing the, 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 the presence and the power of God. And basically, in our end, reading it from the lens of the New Testament, we can see that it was through prayer, through the dependency upon God, that the war was being fought. And here, God was demonstrating to the Israelites that your victory is not about how physical, how much you fight, but rather it is through God enabling you to fight. It was the battle, or the battle belonged to the Lord. See how he concludes there, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it to the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, I quote the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So it is the Lord's battle. It is the Lord's battle. And we are seeing there that for us who are children of God, if we are to advance in the spread of the gospel, we need to recognize that prayer is supposed to be priority. It is when we call upon heaven to come and aid us and go out in battle. And supported by God, we shall prevail. There's an incident tucked away somewhere in Chronicles, and First Chronicles and chapter 5. Remember, Chronicles was written after uh, the Babylonian exile, after they had returned back, and they were discouraged. And it explains why, you know, God had allowed, you know, things to happen that way. And in Chronicles, after naming all the various names, I'm sure we are familiar with Jabez in chapter 4, you know, who was, uh, you know, 
Jabez, who was more honorable than his brothers, the guy who prayed that God might extend you know, his boundary. But then in chapter 5, you find the Reuben, Reubenites and the Gadites who went to war. And in verse 19, or maybe picking it up from verse 18, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh had valiant men who carried shields and swords and drew the bow, expert in war, 44,760 able to go to war. They waged war against the Hagrites, uh, Jetar, uh, Nafish, and Nodab. And verse 20, and when they prevailed over them, the Hagrites and all who were with them were given into their hands. Why? For they cried out to God in the battle. And he granted their agent plea because they trusted in him. They carried off the stocks, 50,000 of the camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 men alive. Verse 22, for many fell because the war was of God, and they lived in their place until the exiles. So you can see there, the men prevailed. Why? It's because they cried out to God, and they trusted in him. The primacy of prayer. The primacy of prayer. So we are seeing there, Paul is asking, brothers, pray for us. You might be saying, no, but I do pray. And I've been praying. But why is it that whenever there's a prayer meeting, there are few within the, 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 the auditorium? When you meet for Tuesday evangelism or Tuesday prayer, it's less the numbers than when you meet for Bible studies. Why? And then you say, no, 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 but we've been praying. No, we, we believe that God is able to, and, and, and we believe in the primacy of prayer. I'm asking, do you really believe that? And if you do, are you demonstrating it by the way you are praying and calling for prayers so that the gospel might advance? But let's hurry on. Uh, true victory is through the regenerative and transformative power of God. Salvation can only be done by God, the Holy Spirit. It is him who converts. It is him who regenerates. But do we believe that? Do we believe that it's only God who can save a sinner? And are we showing it by praying and asking God that he might bless his word to that end? But then also, it is Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 that tells us that it is not by might nor power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. So it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that victory can be won. But it is the same thing that the apostles also did. They recognized the primacy of prayer in the work of the gospel. So if you go to the book of Acts, as soon as the church now launches on, you find that there is within there the attacks of the evil one. And I think it was Brother Singogo in the morning who was praying that God might be gracious and protect from the assaults of the evil one. It is true. The devil is real. The devil attacks and the devil tries to confuse the work of the gospel. And it is evident even in the book of Acts but not only that, if you turn to Thessalonians, our, our text there, but in chapter uh, 2 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul says there, verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, remember they were there for three Sabbaths, and then they came and then they are, you know, driven out, chased, you know, from uh, Thessalonica, 
they go to Berea. But he's saying there as he writes to them, but since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, verse 18, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. The devil is real in the, in, the, in the opposition to the work of the gospel. As Brother Singogo was saying, no, uh, it's like we Baptists, we don't believe that, that the devil exists, that the opposes what is you know, going on. But it is true. The scriptures are clear there. But turning to Acts and chapter uh, 4, you see there that the brothers, immediately the church is established, they start persecuting them so that they, you know, not spread the gospel. They should not share the word of God. And remember Peter and John who say, you know, you know tell us, whom should we obey? Should we obey you or God? Uh, choose. We would rather obey God. And God is the one that has taught us or has sent us to preach the gospel. And there we find, you know, the, the council looks at them and say, when they saw them and they saw their boldness, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Is that an accusation that can stick on you? That when, see, when they see the boldness They'll recognize, they'll know that this guy has been spending time in prayer. He has been with Jesus. Brethren, we need to pray. We need to spend time praying because prayer is primary and should be of uh, first concern in the spread of the gospel. But you see there after they are released, Beaten, released from prison, what do they do? First order of business, they went to pray. They went to pray. And there, uh, that is chapter 4 of Acts and verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our prophet, uh, our father David, your servant by the uh, Holy Spirit, going on uh, to verse uh, 28, uh, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. And uh, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So you can see there that they knew the primacy of prayer in the spread of the gospel. But opposition came again, chapter 5. We find there that there is hypocrisy, there is infiltration, you know, through the hands of Ananias and Sapphira. They were trying to distract them from that. And then you can see there the Apostle Peter tells them, you haven't lied to men, but to God. Why has this filled your heart? that you should lie to the Holy Spirit. Prayer. But then the devil again uses another tactic. Chapter 6. Just grumbling and, you know, internal wrangles and so on. But the apostles knew that this is a distraction. They want us to concentrate on you know, sorting out issues and, you know, waiting on the tables and so on. And the solution was what? Uh-uh. We should 
concentrate on we should not give up the preaching of the word. That is uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 2. And then verse 4 there, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Mark the order, to prayer and the ministry of the word, to prayer. So prayer was central. You can go on, Stephen, and so on. The opposition is rife in the spread of the gospel. But God is telling us, or so the Apostle Paul, we are learning from him that we need to keep prayer paramount. But in the second place, when the Apostle Paul says, brothers, pray for us, he is acknowledging the fact that he and the apostolic team were not adequate in themselves. They were inadequate to be able to do this work of the gospel. And therefore, they depended on answered prayer. They could not achieve that in their own strength. He writes to the Corinthians in, first Corinth, in Second Corinthians and chapter 1 there, uh, saying that, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant of what happened to us in Asia. That's Second Corinthians and chapter 1, beginning with uh, this uh, 8. We do not want you to be ignorant of what happened to us, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And verse, seven, uh, verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that we will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayer of the many. So there the Apostle Paul is acknowledging that now, look, the, 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 the afflictions that we suffered in Asia were many. It was tough. We were almost dying. But it was because that almost dying gave us that realization that we shouldn't depend on ourselves, but we should be able to depend on God, the one who raises uh, us from the dead. And then he asked them to pray. He's asking them to pray so that in answer to prayer, you know, the Apostle Paul might be delivered, as it were. Is that how you do it as well? Do you realize that it is not your strength, but it is God who supplies the strength? We read a very sad encounter in Judges concerning Samson, who had a lot of strength. Uh, but then one day, after Delilah, you know, pestered him and pestered him and pestered him, and then he gave up the secret. What a way to fall. The Bible tells us that she cried to him. She said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. I think this is a sad encounter, a sad way of falling. Self-confidence, thinking that I will do it as in other times, I'll shake myself. But then we are seeing here that the Lord had left him. Do we acknowledge our inadequacies? 
and therefore express it in prayer and dependency upon God. That it is not in our own strength, but rather it is God who is able to make us go through. The Bible tells us in John chapter 15 and verse 5 that without me, the Lord Jesus Christ says, you can do nothing. And John Owen, in writing in one of his volumes, volume 9, on the cases of conscience, uh, he's trying to answer the question, how can we recover from a decay from the principle of grace? In other words, when you've backslidden, how can you arise? And he says there that we need to abide and live near the wellspring, uh, and, and that is Christ, continuing uh, to, 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 to express faith in him. But then he says something very uh, a profound here. Me thinks that the frequent actings of faith upon the person of Christ are a drawing near to the wellhead of life. And though we are put, if we put forth vigor, earnestness, watchfulness of our hearts unto obedience, and yet cease to continue in the actings of faith upon the person of Christ, even under that vigor of our own endeavor, those general outward desires of working with God and living to, uh, to him will weaken us and we shall find ourselves losers by it. In other words, what Owen is saying is that you might decide in your own heart that now look, I'll be having my personal devotions, I'll be reading my Bible, I'll be going for outreach, I'll be doing this and that, all the works that are needed, I'll be very careful, you know, avoiding temptations and, but he says that if you stop acting by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to backslide and decay, even under those things that you're doing, those duties that you're doing. In other words, we need God. This is a spiritual battle, and we need Christ by the Holy Spirit to, be en to enable us to be able to succeed. God alone is sufficient. Our sufficiency must be in Christ. The Apostle Paul also writes to the Corinthians now in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 5 there. Verse 4 says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. Is that your disposition? Is that you realizing that no, we can't do this on our own? We need God. We need to rely on God. And I ask again, in your ministries, where the gospel is being proclaimed and so on, how much time is allocated to prayer? How much time are we spending to say now, brothers and sisters, this battle belongs to the Lord unless God enables us, unless he gives us that enabling, we cannot succeed. How much time are we spending to just say, now look, let's pray. How much are you asking to say, brothers, pray for us? When we sit in prayer uh, groups, prayer, nothing, nothing, I need a job, my aunt is sick, and, you know, I have an exam coming, the economy is biting. How much time are we dedicating to praying for the success of the gospel? How much are we dedicating time in the prayers themselves to express our utter dependency on God that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves but our sufficiency is in the Lord 
It's the Apostle Paul who writes again to the Corinthians, this time in 1 Corinthians and chapter uh, uh, 3, when he's talking about those divisions. They come and then say, no, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Cephas. And he says, you know, you're acting uh, immature. Because if you look at everyone there, what then is Paul? That's verse 5. What is, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now listen how much God-centered these verses are. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it's neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one. Each one will receive his wages according to his labors. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. So it is God who gives the grace. It is God who provides the increase. You may come with your contribution and her contribution and so on. In fact, all those gifts that we all have proceed from God and therefore we need to depend upon him. Concluding this argument in chapter 4 verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, for who sees anyone different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So in other words, there is no cause for boasting. Our dependence ought to be on God. Our sufficiency should be on God. Making a comment on this, Jeremiah says that thus says the Lord... Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. We need to depend upon God. We need to pray. We need to express our dependency on God. Thirdly, when the Apostle Paul says, pray for us, he's basically saying that I believe in the efficacy of prayer. Prayer is able to change things. So now, normally when we talk about the efficacy of, of, of prayer, you know, my, my Baptist and theological antenna will come in and say, no, 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 the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the decree of God, and, and then it sort of short-circuits us to then turn into hyper-Calvinists, who don't believe really that, you know, God has ordained prayer as a means of establishing his work. Because then you say that, you see, uh, the decree of God, God has decreed, uh, God decreed in himself for all eternity, everything whatsoever shall come to pass. But then that should not cause us to relax. That should not cause us to say, therefore, we won't pray. But again, we won't say that. But it will come out in our prayers. You start praying the sovereignty and the decree of God in your prayers. God, you know all things. Let your will be done. Then you end there. But, but James is telling us, James chapter 1, is there anyone who lacks wisdom? Let him pray. So, so don't just end at being you know, knowledgeless or wisdomless, and then you say, you know, God knows everything. Uh-uh. He calls us to pray. There is power in prayer. He says, whoever lacks wisdom, let him ask. God who gives generously will be able to, to, to give him. And then in chapter, is it three or four, where he says now that, look, you do not have. Why? Because you don't ask. That's the reason. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask wrongly. 
That's the indictment that James gives us. But if you look at the Apostle Paul, he believed in the efficacy of prayer. That he was able to pray and God was going to answer. Isn't that what we read in Romans chapter 15 and verse 31 there, where he says, strive with me in prayer, brothers. Verse 30 of Romans chapter 15, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we are seeing there the Apostle Paul. He's praying, okay? Specifically, pray for me, strive for me. I am going to Jerusalem. Pray in particular that I may be delivered from the unbelievers, the Jews. And remember, when he's making this way back to Jerusalem, that is when, you know, Prophet Agabus tells him that the owner of this belt, this is how he'll be bound up, that's how he'll be, you know, beaten and imprisoned in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul says there that I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he goes to Jerusalem there, you can see how miraculously he was delivered. And we can say that this was in answer to the prayers of God's people. Paul, Paul's sister, the son, comes and overhears a plot of the Jews that these guys won't eat or sleep. They'll be fasting until Paul is dead. What made that plot be uncovered? You can say that, yes, it's God's sovereign decree and so on, but again, it is in answer to the prayers of God's people. Psalm chapter 2 tells us that even the Lord Jesus Christ, our redemption, was also in part or will be fulfilled or was going to be fulfilled in answer to to prayer. If you look at Psalm 2 and verse uh, 7 there, this is a messianic psalm. We see uh, there verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So in other words, redemption was going to be in part as a response to the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ to his Father. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse uh, 37 there, we normally look at 36 and looking at the, uh, no, the work of God in, 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 in uh, regeneration, but there is a verse there towards the end which also talks about that duty that God has given us to pray The last paragraph, verse 37, Ezekiel chapter 36. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. And what will be the prayer request? To increase their people like a flock, like a flock for sacrifice, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So that so shall the west cities be filled with a flock of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In other words, when you look at the gospel, the advancement, the conversions of people turning to Christ, God is saying that in part it will be in answer to prayer. So we need to believe that indeed prayer is uh, efficate, the efficacy of prayer. 
uh, we are discussing with Elder Stali, uh, you know, in the morning uh, concerning that, you know, illustration or parable, I don't know how true it is, of uh, a church which, you know, the next property, somebody, you know, began building a bar. So they're busy building a bar and the church, you know, they said, oh, look, uh, you know, this bar will start disturbing us and so on. So they started praying, you know, praying and praying. And then on the day that the church was supposed to be, oh, sorry, the bar was supposed to be launched, then there was the lightning and, you know, the building, you know, collapsed and it was damaged. And the bar owner said, no, it's because of these guys who've been praying. So he sued them. Okay, no, they've, you know, by their prayers, direct or indirectly, they have caused my, you know, building to collapse. And the church defended itself and says, no, we are not responsible for this. So the judge looking at the case and then he says, ah, this is a tough one, you know. On the one hand, there is a businessman who believes in the efficacy of prayer. And yet there is also a church here who doesn't believe in the efficacy of prayer, that God answers prayer. But not so with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew that God was able to answer prayer. Doesn't he say that in Ephesians, that he is able to do far much more than we can ever imagine or ask? Because God is able to answer prayer. Is there something that you are waiting upon the Lord for? Are you praying, believing prayer that God will be able to answer? And the Bible tells us that indeed God does hear and delights to hear the prayers of his children. In Proverbs chapter 15 verse 8 it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. And First John chapter 5 verse 14 and 15 says and this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So here we are. The Bible is telling us that God hears our prayers. And the Apostle John is able to say that we have this confidence towards him. When we pray according to to his will, he will hear us. He will hear us. But let's conclude uh, this matter of prayer. Just remember the Apostle Paul says, brothers, pray for us. In other Bible versions it says, brethren, pray for us. Uh, the NIV, you know, it's, it's a little bit modernized does now the actual meaning of that phrase. It says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. But in conclusion, it's the brothers, it's the brethren, it's those who are in the family of God that the Apostle Paul is asking for prayers. And therefore, it doesn't include you if you are not a child of God. God won't hear your prayers as Proverbs has told us, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination before him. In other words, God doesn't take pleasure in you asking him for things. Why? Because you have denied him. You have refused the offer of salvation that he has given you in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the words of the writer to the Hebrews, you are trampling under the foot, the blood of the covenant. And he's saying, no, he can't hear you. How can you go to God and say, extend thy kingdom, O Lord, and yet 
you yourself, you are refusing to be a member of that kingdom. So the only prayer that God requires of you is the prayer of confession, going to him, crying out that he might have mercy upon you and save you, that he might make you his child, that you might truly be part and parcel of the family of God. So, brothers, doesn't include you if you are not a Christian. It's the Christians that are being called to pray. But then for those of us who are Christians, I think we see here when we look at this prayer that the primacy of prayer for the Apostle Paul was critical. That prayer should hold the central theme I think it was the uh, Raving Hill, uh, one of these uh, uh, Pentecostal guys who, who wrote on, on prayer, uh, that, that many are asking, where is the God of Elijah? So then he answers in his book that he is where he has always been, on the throne and reigning. But a suitable question is, where are the men like Elijah? In our day and age. Yes, Elijah was a man of like passions. But Elijah was a man of prayer. He prayed. So are we the ones who rise to that occasion, to that challenge, that we need to pray? That we will be open and concerned about the advancement of the gospel and go out of our way looking and seeking for opportunities in which we can pray for our brethren, pray that God's word might advance. Join a ministry. Try and find out. What is it that they are doing in the advancement of the gospel? Then if you find, you know, two or three months, you know, we haven't been praying except when we are beginning the, you know, the, the meeting and ending, uh, you know, give a nudge to the chair. Brothers, we need to pray for the gospel. We need to put prayer in its uh, proper uh, place. That's the primacy of prayer. But then also we need to recognize our dependency upon him. That we can't do and achieve anything unless God is with us. Let's express that dependency by being men and women, boys and girls of prayer. That the prayer meeting will not be you know, the one which is ill-attended, but rather that it will be one of those which is uh, the, 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 the fullest. I think it's Spurgeon in his, uh, I don't know whether it's, it's the biography, I can't remember, where, you know, someone came almost on time and says, but where is everyone? Um, and, and the hall looked sort of empty. Uh, so they told him, no, no, no. They are downstairs in the basement. They are praying. So he found the basement was full of people praying for the uh, ministry of the word. And another example Spurgeon gives is uh, when the guy goes to heaven and then says, you know, all these who got saved, it was not actually because you preached well. Uh-uh. But down on the steps, on the stairs, there was a man who was praying that God might convert them. We need to pray. We need to pray for the work of the Lord. Pray for the challenges to be endured. Paul talks about Satan hindering him looked at the opposition, he says in, uh, is it uh, Second Corinthians, uh, that, you know, we are not 
ignorant, or is it in Ephesians, we are not ignorant of the schemes of the evil one. So the opposition is real, but pray that God's word might advance. Pray that God will enable us run with endurance the race that has been marked out for us to the end. We should pray that there should not be lukewarmness. There's a lot of lukewarmness, counterfeit Christianity, but we need to pray that God will be able to reveal all these things to us that we might grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, brothers, pray for the advancement of the gospel. Amen.